Welcome to First Amendment Friday on the Lars Larson Show. Thank God it's Friday! Today, Lars puts you in the driver's seat. You talk about what you want to talk about. Government is the problem. No topic is off limits. We will make America great again. Call 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-HEY-LARS to speak your mind. Now, First Amendment Friday with Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show, and welcome to my favorite day of the week, bar none. That's First Amendment Friday. We open up the phone lines. Every subject is fair game. And, of course, as is true every other day of the week, naysayers go to the head of the line. Now, you're going to love today's X poll. We put it up on the X. Now, it used to be Twitter. Now it's X. Should America's military take dropouts who can score 50 out of 99 on the Armed Services Qualification Test? Now, I don't think you have to be an HR expert to say, so we've got the best military in the world. About 25% of American high school graduates are actually eligible to be in the military. That is, they meet some of the standards for weight, uh, for physical capability, for being uh, felony-free, drug-free, etc. That's 25% of American high school graduates. And now the U.S. Navy can't fill its ranks. The Army just cut the size of the Army by 24,000, saying if we can't fill these 24,000 slots, well, then we'll just get rid of them. So we've got a shrinking military, a growing welfare class, and that's where we are. And now the U.S. Navy, my mom and dad both served in the Navy. My stepson, Brandon, was a U.S. Marine. Uh, You don't say was. He is still a Marine. He's now a retired Marine. But the fact is, part of the Navy, one of the departments of the Navy, as the Marines like to say, the men's department. But now the Navy says it wants to take in high school dropouts who don't have a diploma, don't have a GED, and can score 50 out of 99 on the armed services qualification test. They are that desperate to get people. And I think it's not because of the volunteers. I think it's because of what the service branches have done to themselves. But I'll make this question simple, and and then I'll give you an example from Space Force that is so insane you almost can't believe it. But first, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. If you want to join the best conversation and talk journalism, it's here every day. And on First Amendment Friday, that goes double. At 866-HEY-LARS, naysayers go to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And should America's military take dropouts who can score 50 out of 99? I'd say no to that. We should maintain high standards. Heck, we got people today saying, well, why don't we take some of these illegal aliens that Joe keeps bringing in by the millions and conscript them into service? I wouldn't do that to the United States military. I think that'd be a dirty trick. Today's poll on X found at Lars Larson Show and brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I've always believed in. I joined a long time ago. You can join too. Just go to amac.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC is better, better for you and better for America. Now, I want to hear, I want to have you hear something absolutely lunatic. Would you want to sign up for military service with leaders who are more concerned about your pronouns and your diversity than they are about your abilities? Let me offer to you the United States Air Force Academy has put on display, had him come out and make a statement, a transgender. A transgender, as it's being described by the mainstream media, transgender identifying activist. Let me translate that for you. This is a guy 
who has styled his hair and has changed his name to pretend to be a woman. And he's a lieutenant colonel. This isn't a private first class. Lieutenant Colonel Bree Fram. Listen to this. Dignity and respect is the bare minimum. It's the floor of where we can be. We must set our sights higher and focus on intentional inclusivity because there are still far too many people out there, not just LGBTQ individuals, that feel marginalized, shut out, or discriminated against. Oh, that's so horrible because after all, the United States military these days under Joe Biden is not there to protect the national security of the United States of America. It's there as a giant uh, social experiment. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Fram, who's an engineer with the United States Space Force and an activist for transgenderism in the military. Did you know that? You can sign up for the military and be a political activist. He spoke at the National Character and Leadership Symposium, and the theme was embrace culture, empower people. How about this? Sign up for the military, defend your country. Is this about promoting different kinds of sexual minorities in America, or is it about protecting America? I just ask you to consider that, and then let me play the second bite, or let uh, Joel play the second bite, from Lieutenant Colonel Bree Fram. I ask you to set out your symbols of pride, share your pronouns in your email, particularly if you're a person who doesn't think they need to, initiate difficult conversations about racial and gender barriers, and share a bit of a vo your vulnerability in a way that draws others in. Now, do you think that most young men and women would say, why, that sounds like defending your country. I want to sign up for that. Do you know why I think the military has a gigantic problem with recruiting right now? Not because America hasn't had a very strong military. It's because of this kind of nonsense that the Pentagon is selling. And too many young men and women are saying, I don't want any part of that. I'm not going there. We're going to have to wait till Trump fixes it starting in January of next year. To your calls now. Let's start with Alan. Hey, Alan, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? I just have one question, Lars. I want sure. to know why is Joe Biden so interested in the border now when he hasn't done anything since his term in office? I got a very simple answer. He's not concerned about the border. He's concerned about his reelection. And he realizes that Americans have awakened to what he's done, that we've got 10 million illegals here, we've got a wide-open border, we've got fighting-age males uh, coming in from places like China, and we have no idea why they're here, but we have suspicions about why a whole bunch of fighting-age young males would say, I'm seeking freedom, but they don't bring their families and they don't bring their kids. You know, when you head off to some kind of battle, do the warriors take their kids and their wives? No, they come on their own. And that's what we're seeing. Joe Biden is worried about his reelection. He wants to make it look as though he's doing something about the border, and he is not. Let's go to Thomas, who's a naysayer. Thomas, we're close to the break, so very quickly, what do you and I disagree about that makes you a naysayer? Well, I, kind of, I feel that these people who can't get a GED or don't have a diploma, if they're loyal to America and can shoot a rifle and obey the orders of the... Uh, military, their drill sergeant and their boot camp sergeant should be able to bust them into, uh, you know, being a good soldier. 
Thomas, do you think do you think we're just talking cannon fodder or do most military men and women have to have skills and abilities like reading and math and things like that? The very basics would be high school. This is not just pick up an pick up a weapon. It's being trained for specialties. How tough is it to train somebody who didn't finish high school and only scores 50 out of 99 on the service uh, the service test? Um, I don't mean to interrupt, but uh, I believe that, uh, you know, the way the schools are, um, I think they're not bringing a lot of the uh, intelligence out of kids and out of students by the way they have distracted everybody with their... I think you're right about that, Thomas. The schools aren't doing a great job, but do we want our military to be bad as a result of that? I appreciate the call. Good day, sir. Back in a moment, it's First Amendment Friday. I'll get to more of your calls. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Solid advice from Senator John Kennedy. Look, if you hate cops just because of cops, the next time you get in trouble, call a crackhead. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show on First Amendment Friday. I want to get to your calls. And in a bit, we can talk about Joe Biden's border visit yesterday. I did a bit of that last night. But if you want to jump in, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Our poll on X. Should America's military take dropouts who don't have a GED, don't have a diploma, and can only score 50 out of 99 on the Armed Services Qualification Test? Let's start with Tom. Hey, Tom, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Hey, how's it going? Uh, So I was an Air Force recruiter for four years back, uh, 2010 to 2014. And the minimum for the Air Force was uh, 50, right? So. I had to turn away a lot of kids that, you know, could score 50, but, like, they were lacking in other areas, you know. So I think if these kids want to better their life in the military um, and want to join the military and fulfill some of these without a high school diploma, I say do it. If they can pass the ASVAB, they'll be more than good in the military. Now, my question then, Tom, is is why would we want to lower standards? And would that kind of the standard change I just described that the Air Force just adopted, is that going to diminish our capability when we have to say we have to take less qualified people? It sounds like you're saying, well, they're less qualified, but they'll be trained properly in the military, you know, and they'll be trained in their MOS, right? Exactly. So I think if, a, if someone can come in and pass the ASVAB with that score or higher and not have that high school phone, I say let them do it. Let them do it. It's just, you know, if they want to better their life and serve their country, let them do it. Okay. The, the concern I've got is, I mean, I understand training. I mean, for instance, our newest uh, producer on this show, and we're not the military, but, you know, is Joel. Yeah. And, and Joel's the newest guy on the crew, and he's doing a fantastic job. But if he had come to me and said, Lars, I didn't finish high school. I really can't read very well at all. I don't do much in the way of math. I'd say, Joel, you know, we can train you. But if you start from a basis that you can't read well and you can't write well and you can't, not, and by the way, he, he's not any of those. He's the opposite. He's the opposite of that. But if he had said, can't you train me even though I can't read, write, or do math? And I'd say, well, 
it's possible, but it's a lot harder to do when you don't have those those um, you know those underlying skills. Isn't that going to be true with the military too? When when you go to the, your MOS and and they say read this technical manual and you say sergeant, sorry sergeant, I don't read very well. Well, if if they can't read, they're not going to pass the ASAP to begin with. So that's one. You know, okay. as of the yeah. computer test. So if they can't read, you know, they're not going to they're not going to pass it. But there's a lot of on the job training with these these specialties that that you know the Air Force that I know has, and on the job training will get these guys and gals trained up to what we need and it, like i said if they're willing to do it let's have them do it you know the, the asap's going to weed out the really bad and 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 i've i've turned away kids that failed the asap that scored horribly on the asap with a high school diploma so the asap will weed these kids out and and get what we need okay tom that's good now one last question i'm going to move on to other callers you heard my okay. theory as to why i think the changes and this blunt uh, transgender, DEI, CRT, social woke uh, kind of nonsense that's come just under Joe Biden was not present under Trump. Yes. That's my theory as to why recruiting is down. What do you think? I think it's a little bit of the commander in chief and some of this, uh, some of these new uh, ideals that the military has. I, I retired in 2017, so I didn't have to deal with any of this. Um, it makes me sad to see the Air Force the way it's going. But uh, hopefully we can weather this storm and, and come out on the other side. If you'd had a sergeant who was a man pretending to be a woman, would that have made things difficult? Uh, there were situations where, you know, we, we knew someone was, you know, uh, uh, homosexual. You know, you just rolled with it, you know. Right, um, right. They didn't bring but you're not, you're not bunking with them, so you don't have to deal with that. But if you've got somebody who's confused about who they are, you know, I, I was born a, a, a man, but now I think I'm a woman. I just wonder how that works is for, for unit cohesiveness, as they say. It really doesn't. It's, it's a big distraction. I would imagine. Tom, thanks for your service in uniform. I appreciate it. Let's go to Mark. Hey, Mark, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars. So I am one of those people in the 80s. I was someone who didn't finish high school and uh, joined the military. And so I scored on the ASVAB in the top one percentile. So I oh, congrats. Work. That's good. But here's the thing. Um, they still made me go through GED classes during basic training. So I had to get my GED during basic training. And uh, so that was crazy because you train during the day, and then at night they took you for two hours, two-plus hours, to go through these classes so you get your GED. Well, so you didn't get any sleep at all when you were in basic, right? Right, right. You're, you're not sleeping much. But I think for, you know, and I believe most, many kids, and I don't know about Oregon now because there's no standard, but many kids aren't, you know, they leave high school not for academic problems, but for disciplinary problems. Yeah. And so the military helps fix that for them. I've had four kids go through the military and two that are still in now. And their experience with all the pride stuff is that yeah it's there it exists uh depending on what type of unit you're in and where you are it could be taken seriously but in some units it's not taken seriously at all and um the question you asked the recruiter about if you had a sergeant uh yeah who, you know yeah, well, how, how would you answer that one well here's the answer the answer is, is you respect the rank 
you know, so you have to carry out lawful orders and do what you're supposed to do, but you respect the rank. So you just say and yes, I lieutenant would, colonel, or no, lieutenant colonel, and you don't care. You know, you care. You care about what's on their shoulders and not what's between their legs. That's right. You go on your about your business and do what you're supposed to do. And I'm willing to bet in some unit, and I'm talking about like the, the premier unit because I was in the army, like the 82nd or the 75th. Ranger, all these other battalion, or you know, units that are the Elites. primary units, yep. right? Um, I, one, I'll bet you that behavior's not going on, and <laughs> if it is, there are workarounds. I, I'd be willing to bet you're absolutely right. Thanks for your service, Mark, and for the service of your kids. Let's go to Victor. Hey, Victor, welcome to the Lars Larson Joe. What's on your mind? Uh, this nation is going down because it has forsaken God's Ten Commandments. They used to have the commandments in the courthouse and on the school walls, and uh, this nation followed it, and we were blessed. God puts nations up, and God puts nations down. And now our corrupt government and our corrupt schools have absolutely denied that, and that is a great big lie that's destroying our country. I think you're absolutely right, Victor. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Jeff. Uh, Jeff, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Uh, hi, Lars. Um, I'm a U.S. Navy veteran that uh, rode stack submarines as a nuclear power operator um, in the late 70s, early 80s. And, um, you know, I kind of see a twofold issue. You know, on one hand, we, are, we have a military-age generation in this country that has been taught to be unpatriotic, to not respect authority. And then we've got another set of people who are, and so they're not going to go in the military. And then you've got the other set of people that, that do respect authority that are patriotic, but they see what's going on, like what you've been talking about, you know, about the homosexuality and the, and all that. And so, yeah, and trans especially, right? So, so they're not going to go in for that reason. You know, I think we need to just go back to the draft, frankly. Jeff, let me ask you something, though. I, I, I only think you're wrong about one thing, and that is when you say, okay. when you go to the military, it's because you're patriotic, you want to defend your country. Except what that yeah. lieutenant colonel said, the one from the, from the Air Force, he, yeah. and he is a he, said, you have to come here and put your, you know, your personal activism for whatever your agenda is on display. And I've never been in the military, yeah. but my understanding is when yeah. you're in the military, you're there to do one thing, defend this country. Yeah. You're not there for political yeah. activism or social activism until now. No. Now we're telling no, these people. No, you're, there, you're, you're there to be a vanilla person, right? Right. And you're except this it. colonel is saying you're there to put everything on display. It's your activism that's the most Lars Larson Show.
Another strong take from President Biden on AI and the weather. Helping web tech, the, web, web, the web telescope. My God, what is this? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's First Amendment Friday. I got to tell you, another day and another Chinese spy balloon over Joe Biden's America. Yeah, that's right. Alaskan fishermen. This just broke about an hour ago. Some fishermen in Alaska found what apparently officials think is the remains of another spy balloon. They fished all this stuff out of the uh, water, took pictures of it, reported it back to the military, to the uh, FBI. And apparently the FBI is going to meet the ship when it arrives in port, probably sometime this weekend, and then take the object that they found. They said uh, they don't know what it is exactly, but it does resemble the surveillance balloons and the equipment used by foreign nations. I think you can insert China right there. And so they're going to take it into custody. And what are we going to hear from the Biden administration? Oh, nothing to see here. Remember about a year ago with the Chinese spy balloon? And it it only became public, even though our military had eyes on it from the time it left Hainan Island off the, uh, the east coast of China and then flew over the Aleutian Islands. We apparently had an eye on it the whole way, decided not to shoot it down. And only because it went public, because as it flew over Montana, somebody in a commercial passenger jet looked out the window and said, what the heck is that? Began inquiring. And finally, all the way along, the Biden administration was saying, oh, no, it's probably a weather balloon. It's nothing to worry about. Uh, the fact that it's flying over the United States, yeah, that's really not a big concern, or loitering over some of our military bases. And finally, when it got to the East Coast, finally they shot the thing down. So they shot down a probably $100,000 spy balloon with about a million-dollar missile, and now the fishermen in Alaska have fished another one out of the water. So just consider where we're going. It is First Amendment Friday. Your calls are welcome at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LawrenceLarson.com. And naysayers always go to the head of the line. Joy, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Well, I was actually going to call yesterday. So this is kind of related to it. Um, when you were talking about churches and how they're losing members. Yeah, um, But then your discussion about the military ties into that. I go to a progressive church where oh, I everyone's only imagine. welcome. Oh, it is, <laughs> you would, I think you'd really enjoy it. I mean, their music and people, their faith is incredibly Hold, hold on. Strong. Music and people. Strong. Can can you tell me this? Do they, do they go from the book chapter by chapter and verse by verse? Or do they have a whole I'm, lot of doctrine of man and not so much about the book? No, it's it's based on the Bible. Now, we don't... Oh, I didn't say based on the Bible. Do they adhere to the Bible? Because there is a big difference. Well, there are a no, lot of... Even in the Presbyterian Church, we don't see the Bible being literate. So, no, I mean, not literate, being literal. So, no, it's not... It well, there's your first mistake. What parts of it do you disagree with, just out of curiosity? But, I, but that's not why I called. Okay. <laughs> You you, um, you teased so, me with all that red meat, Joy. Well, but, I had to ask. But, but then, but then you had that conversation today. So, anyway, um, but well, for just I'm I'm we have six discussion groups looking at the last week by Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan, and it's going through the every, day okay, by Joy, day. Joy, you're going to burn a lot of daylight. I want to okay. get to the meat. So of let this. me tell you. Okay, so the meat of it is is I think institutions are losing people because there's many people 
in the LGBTQ community or who are allies who are choosing not to join those institutions. And here you've just talked about the military that needs more qualified people, but but then you're not looking at, instead there's derogatory mark, remarks about the LGBTQ community joining the military. And in fact, they have more of a risk of having sexual abuse and sexual harassment against them than them perpetrating it. Okay, but we're not talking about harassment. Here's the question I've got. Joel, would you mind bringing up the uh, soundbite from Lieutenant Colonel Fram? This is a man pretending to be a woman in an Air Force uh, uniform and played the second soundbite. Hold on, hold on. I want you to hear this soundbite from a lieutenant colonel in the United States Space Force, which is part of Air Force. Uh, Joel, if you've got that soundbite, play it now, please. I ask you to set out your symbols of pride, share your pronouns in your email, particularly if you're a person who doesn't think they need to. Initiate difficult conversations about racial and gender barriers and share a bit of your vulnerability in a way that draws others in. Now, Joy, let me tell you why I object to that and let me ask for your response. The job of the U.S. military is to safeguard the national security of this country. It is not there for you to promote whatever agenda, whether I agree with the agenda or not. If you say, I really want to promote acceptance of transgenderism, Is that the job of the U.S. military and does allowing people to come to the military to say, I've got my own personal agenda and I think the military would be a great place to promote that, to advance that, to draw other people in and tell them, you know, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. Is that the job of the military and does allowing activists in the military to do that kind of thing conflict with the mission of the military? Well, I don't know where he was making this presentation. He was in uniform. I said where he was. He was at an event he was allowed to attend in full dress uniform at the National Character and Leadership Symposium. And he said, I'm representing United States Space Force. He is from the Air Force Academy, and the Air Force Academy is showcasing this. So this isn't a personal conversation he's having with friends over a beer on Friday afternoon. He's but at an official it, event, dressed in his uniform, representing the United States military. Does allowing people to use the military to promote their own social agenda conflict with the mission of the military? Well, I, you know, I, I, what I would say is that if he is in the environment where there has been a lot of discrimination, and he wants to say to those who are in that community, like we do at my church, you are welcome here. And if they have not felt welcomed, you're missing a huge group of, well, I won't say huge, you're missing a group of people. Yeah, because transgender is about two-thirds of 1% of the entire population. No, that's just transgender, but I've heard enough comments that, that it's gay and uh, lesbian is two to five percent so you're missing out on five and a half percent but i but they may be extremely qualified you still haven't answered my question which is joy i have great producers but he's at a character 
he's at a character and leadership conference. But he's, he's representing he's the United it. States Air Force. He's not there on his own time and his own dime. He's there representing the Air Force. And what he's saying is, come to the Air Force and promote your social agenda. Is that, number one, is that the job of the United States Air Force? Or, and number two, does that conflict with the mission of the Air Force? Well, I think it would be the same way when my dad was in the military, where that if he wanted, if they wanted to track more African-Americans, or if you wanted to track a group that would not have seen that institution as one where they would be welcomed and that they could have a great career in the Air Force. Do you think I that transgender individuals in military service end up being a, a problem you know, in the sense that, for for example, this this person who presents himself as a woman, but is in fact a man. Now, how do you handle that when you're housing people together? In some type cases, in the field, they're out sleeping in the same tent together. Now, you could say, well, we don't like segregation. I don't have a problem with segregating men from women, except which one is he? Well, th that would be that, and I would assume if it's a man as a woman, then he, I don't know who he would be. He's still got his plumbing downstairs, as I understand it, and that's where he is. So which which barracks does he go to every night, Joy? That's the question. You got the Lars Larson Show. Upcoming American elections promise some provocative politics, but be forewarned, the green agenda may lead to some extreme rhetoric. Die, gas pumper! <laughs> so prepare yourself by listening to The Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to The Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails, especially on First Amendment Friday. If you want to dial in, it's 866-HEY-LARS. If you're a naysayer, as you can tell, we put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Before we talk about new movies, I'll ask Christian Toto. You heard the little get back liner we just played a moment ago? I did. You're the movie guy, so where does the line die, gas pumper? Which movie does that come from? I'm confident it's The Jerk with Steve Martin. It, it absolutely is. And I just, <laughs> I, I'd seen it for some reason. I thought, hey, That'd be a perfect way to describe most of the, uh, you know, the greenies who run around our society these days. <laughs> Die, gas bumper. I have a feeling and we probably even get Joe Biden to say it. Welcome back, by the way, Christian. How are things going at the Hollywood and Toto podcast? Uh, things are good. Yeah, I have a fun interview with the director of a project called The Reformers. That was based on the uh, the grievance studies hoax where they, they put out these fake academic oh. papers and a whole bunch yeah. of journalists, <laughs> journals uh, accepted them as fact. It was amazing. So... It's a really cool five-part docu-series, and they get the, the skinny on all that in the new podcast. Yeah, we've actually talked to the professors who were involved in that. I think one of them involved a, what, what they purported to be a study of dogs that uh, were they <laughs> dog gender parks? discriminating against uh, other dogs in dog parks or, or having, oh, it was having 
un, non-consensual sex with other dogs at dog parks and uh, and and whether or not there were there were issues of consent that should be worked out for dog owners something like it sounded so stupid you thought who would believe that that was a real study and of course it's american academics is who believed it it's amazing you know it does show the rotten academia and it does it with humor which humor can be very powerful very insightful it's one of the reasons why a lot of the late night hosts are so propagandistic because they want to send a message as opposed to making people laugh. But I think this, this particular hoax did, did two things. It made us all laugh, and it also opened our eyes to what's going on. Hey, let's talk movies for a moment. And uh, since I mentioned a Steve Martin movie, I watched one with my granddaughter last night that I hadn't seen in a long, long time, the, A Simple Twist of Fate, in which Martin is, is playing a dad character. And he's funny at a couple of times, but he's not there to be funny. He's, he's mostly a serious character, which is interesting to see, you know, one of the most, uh, you know, one of the most familiar comics on the American scene play a serious role for a change. Yeah, he did it a few times over the years. I think the Spanish prisoner, that went a little, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but I believe that's a more serious, somber Steve Martin. Also, one of my favorite films from the maybe early 90s called Grand Canyon. It was an ensemble piece, but he played a movie producer who gets seriously wounded. Again, not playing it for last, but sometimes our comedians can be very good dramatic actors. We saw it with Robin Williams as well. Now, I liked the original movie, Dune. Uh, I, I've actually, I have to admit, I've never seen the 2021 remake, but, but tell, me, tell me what they're doing with the Dune remake and now a sequel. Well, I mean, both films are big, they're bold, they're heavy. This is a very somber story, and it's not as buoyant as like a Star Trek or a Star Wars, but it does capture the essence of the book. Now, uh, people that I know that have seen the book, who love the book, who worship the book, are very reverential to the series. This is director uh, Denise Villano, who's very good at what he does. And this is spectacular. This is almost like an art house movie that happens to be a blockbuster. So if that's your cup of tea, I think you'll enjoy it. I did find it a bit dense. You really have to know all the characters, all the plots, all the different the houses, the, the different uh, warlords. It's, it's a lot of material. So in, in the best way, I think read up on it, you know, maybe watch the first one again. And you're, you're, you're bludgeoned with all these kind of wacky science fiction names. And that's, that could be kind of off-putting as well. But it's, it's extremely well-crafted. The cast is spectacular. Uh, Austin Butler, who we saw in Elvis a couple of years ago, plays one of the villains. He's mesmerizing. And you got Javier Bardem. you got, of course, Timothy Chalamet as the main hero. It's very good. It's just uh, it's an experience, and it's long. And if you don't do your homework, you maybe feel a little left out. Well, it's like most movies make you want to go, and, if you haven't already read, uh, read the book, right? In this case, you're telling me if you don't read the book first, the movie isn't going to do as much for you. It definitely helps to read the book for sure. But you can, listen, go to Wikipedia, read some old reviews of the first film, get up to speed, do a little uh, research, and I think you'll be fine. I, it's accessible enough. But I do think this is really aimed for people who have been, you know, treated this with reverence for decades. I think it was the 1960s when Frank Herbert wrote the first novel. And I, I will say there's a wrapping up of sorts, and there's also a continuation of sorts. So this isn't the last Dune movie we've seen, I bet. Okay, i got to take a personal note here. I'm curious. I've told you before that one of my granddaughter, who's about to turn eight in a short while, um, she one of her favorite movies is Mary Poppins. And I had to talk her into watching it because I said, this is a great movie. And she said, what's in it? And I said, uh, Penguins. You know, because there was, there's no way to describe it. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and now I see that Mary Poppins 
in Great Britain is being accused by the British Board of Film Classification, the BBFC, of being a racist movie. <laughs> what what are we supposed to make of these people who who start to do this? And and I'll tell I I think you know what their objection was. It's the term Hottentots, right? Yeah, which you know, I mean, we we hear that term every day and use in a very vicious racist no of course not. <laughs> I, have no, I have no idea about it listen this is just where we are in the culture it's almost as if these these organizations live to find things to be upset about to find outrage where it doesn't belong to look at old classic stories that are beloved by all and saying wait a minute you can't enjoy that like you used to enjoy that we've got to blow the whistle and that's what's happening here it's absurd but you know we've seen this before you know dumbo and peter pan have trigger warnings on disney plus this is this is just a new trend it should be mocked. It's ridiculous. It's, you have to think about the context. And I don't think there's any child who's ever seen this movie who came away with it thinking a racist, negative thought about a particular population. And by the way, the, the, just so you know where they're, because I hate it when somebody says there was racism accusation and then they don't tell you what it was. Uh, the, the term is used twice, once I think by Dick Van Dyke, once by Admiral Boom, who's the guy who lives next door to the, uh, the kids uh, in the Mary Poppins movie. And he, and he has the top of his uh, house made up like a ship. And he fires a cannon every day, and it refers to the Hottentots. The Hottentots, I didn't even know this, but they're apparently the Kyokyo, which is a group of nomadic herders in South Africa. And people used to use the term Hottentots, and now they don't anymore. And as you point out, most people would say, I've never even heard the word before. So it gets a little ridiculous. It certainly is. Again, this is just a, a comical state of affairs. But I think that people who are doing it, they feel good. So that's, you know, they didn't change the world. They didn't change any, anyone's racist heart, but they, they, they acted in a noble, brave fashion. And for that, we should all be very, very happy with them and cheer them on. And let's find out more stuff that's in kiddie movies that we'll suddenly find outrageous and unacceptable. Let's Unbelievable. It. That is Christian Toto. Christian, thanks very much. The host of the Hollywood, Hollywood and Toto podcast. By the way, we've got our own podcast. You can find that at LarsLarson.com. Send me emails, talk at LarsLarson.com. Check me out on Instagram to find out I've got a face for radio. And, of course, you can always tell Alexa to play the Lars Larson show. The Lars Larson Show. Huh. It's Friday, Friday. Friday on my mind. Oh, Friday, Friday. Yeah, it's Friday. Woo! Welcome to First Amendment Friday on the Lars Larson Show. Thank God it's Friday. Today, Lars puts you in the driver's seat. You talk about what you want to talk about. Government is the problem. No topic is off limits. We will make America great again. Call 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-HEY-LARS to speak your mind. Now, First Amendment Friday with Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. We love First Amendment Fridays on this program because it means we open up the phone lines and every subject is fair game. So, if you want to join us, it's 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, I'll put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. I want, to, I want you to think about this question for a moment. And we've talked about J6, the incident that happened in 2021. 
right after the fraudulent election of November 2020 and right before Joe Biden came in to start wrecking America as much as he possibly could. And, of course, I admitted the next day, the day after January 6th, I said, look, were there people there who broke the law? Yes, there were. Uh, were there people there who committed serious crimes? There were a few of those. And there were there a great many people who basically committed the federal version of trespass. And uh, you say, well, do protesters ever trespass in America? Yeah, they trespass all the time. I mean, you've seen them before. Whether you agree with them or not, they'll show up at a senator's office or a congressman's office. They'll camp out somewhere. They'll stage a protest. And that's it. They get a trespass ticket. So there's something strange going on, though, because the Biden FBI is now appears to be arresting journalists. There seems to be a bit of a war against journalists. And uh, you say, well, you take that personally. Well, I disclose the fact I'm still a journalist. I'm just an opinion journalist these days. But let me tell you a bit about Steve Baker. So I don't know Steve Baker personally. He works for a different outfit called Blaze Media. And uh, he went into custody today. You say, okay, for what? For things that the FBI says he did three plus years ago on January 6, 2021. You say, well, it must have been something uh, important because they've been prosecuting January 6 protesters for the last three years. Even the FBI has told him, we won't tell you what the charges are against you, which Steve Baker points out is likely a violation of his Sixth Amendment rights. But, hey, who's counting the Biden administration and the DOJ don't seem to care that much about the constitutional rights of American citizens? But is he being brought in for something serious since they're bringing the charges three years later? Well, no, because apparently the DOJ has shared with his lawyers only this, that he will be detained for a nonviolent misdemeanor. Okay, could be property damage, could be trespass, things like that. They demanded that he show up, this Steve Baker guy, show up in Dallas at the FBI offices to surrender himself. Might have been the U.S. Attorney's Office. In any case, he was told to turn himself in. He was to wear, you know, sandals and shorts and a T-shirt. Now, that usually tells you that you're about to be taken into custody and not just show up, make an appearance, be told what the charges are, and then released. So why are they doing this? I My theory is that there is an all-out war on journalists. We told you about Ka Catherine Herridge, who was fired from her job at CBS News. She's one of the best investigative reporters in all of America. And CBS decided to confiscate all of her files, all of her contacts, all of her sources, they've since given all that stuff back. I don't know whether they made a copy or not, but that's part of the war against journalists. In other words, when the government starts to attack journalists, you know what America starts to look like? One of those third world banana republics is one possibility. A communist dictatorship like China or maybe Russia or maybe Cuba. But that's what happens. And then if you add into that, what happens when those in power in a country decide to try to put their political opponents in prison, and you say, oh, you must be describing Alexei Navalny of Russia. No, I'm talking about people right here in America who are saying, if you come out against whatever it is that the powers that be believe in, if you are pro-life and you show up at a rally, you might just end up with a SWAT team on your front porch, and that has happened. 
It's not just happened once, it's happened a number of times. If you're a journalist like Catherine Herridge and you pursue the wrong stories, you might, she's just been found in contempt. She could find herself sitting in a jail cell somewhere. I just ask you this, doesn't that begin to sound like a country that's being run by a third world dictator? And that would be Joe Biden. Because if you say, if somebody speaks out against what we're doing, we condemn them as an enemy. And we've had the DOJ try to say that Americans who believe in their freedoms, who believe that the government has a limited role in their lives, those people are, are, are bad people. Those MAGA people. So you've had Joe Biden condemn them. You've had Kamala Harris condemn them. You've had some of their sycophants at MSNBC and other places, including the woman whose soundbite I played for you earlier this week, who came out and literally said, all these Christians, you know, the ones that believe their rights come from God and not from government, they are Christian nationalists. There is an attempt to take more than half of the U.S. population and condemn us. And I put myself in that group. I do believe that my rights came from God. And I think the founders of this country believe that as well. And to have somebody say, no, no, your rights come from the government. The government gives you your rights. The government can take your rights away. When you get to that kind of country and you say, well, what happens to me if I speak out, if I use my First Amendment freedoms to speak out in protest against what you're doing? Well, you might find yourself in a jail cell, Lars, or if you're Catherine Erich, Catherine, uh, you might find your files are seized by friendly media who might just turn them over to us. You might just find that uh, you're a J6 protester or a journalist. In this case, that's what Steve Baker was doing. He was covering J6. And now he's been ordered to surrender and dress in shorts and flip and flip flops because we're probably going to put you in custody for nonviolent misdemeanors from events that happened more than three years ago. I just ask you to take those in and consider what's going on in this country. To your calls now. Let's start with Marilyn. Hey, Marilyn, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hi, Lars. Let me turn my speakerphone off. I would appreciate it. So would everybody listening, because speakerphones I... make you sound like you're on Elon Musk's mission to Mars. Um, what's on your mind? Right. <laughs> well, <clears throat> well, let me start off by saying I'm an Army brat, Army wife, Army mom. And wow. my son just got his 20-year letter, and I wanted to speak as a Christian as well to the woman who said that she goes to a, a surprise, she admitted it's a progressive <laughs> church, but she was talking about the transsexual issue and everything. Yep. And uh, it really infuriated me, because the military is in the process of being infiltrated if it's not already complete. And uh, it just goes to show that her... Um, Attitude, you know, because of the Bible, that they don't believe the Bible. And there's a reason that in Genesis, God said God created man and woman. So he put everything in there for, for a reason. Yeah, do. It's all applicable to our times in more ways. I mean, and, and it, it's really sad because, yeah, people are leaving the church because of people like her and the leaders. Yeah, they are. And, and they're leaving the yeah. military because of where that's going. And, Marilyn, I'm with you because when somebody like Joy says, oh, yeah, it's a nice book, but we don't take it literally. Well, you're, you're rejecting the central tenet of Christianity, a virgin birth, a crucifixion, the resurrection. If you don't believe in that stuff, and that's what the book is about, then you don't believe in it at all. But you'll call yourself a Christian for some reason. I'm not sure why. Back in a moment, you got the Lars Larson show. 
Paid. Konstantin Kissin on Hamas. For years now, many of us have been warning that the barbarians are at the gates. We were wrong. They're inside. There are positives as well. I mean, say what you want about Hamas supporters. At least they know what a woman is. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you on a First Amendment Friday. Larry Behrens joins me with a group called Power of the Future. Larry, uh, I, I never thought that I would actually miss John Kerry because I consider John Kerry both as sec- uh, cl- uh, Secretary of State uh, for a time, and then as energy or climate czar to Joe Biden. I thought he was a giant gas bag. He didn't really bring much to the table. Uh, and when he went out the door, I was glad he was going out the door. You know, this idea of this rich guy who's rich because he manages to marry one rich woman after another. He didn't do it on his own. Uh, but then fly around the planet in a private jet and lecture the rest of us about how we're not supposed to be using energy. See him go out the door. It was good news until I found out they were replacing him with John Podesta. Larry, welcome back to the program. And tell me what we should make of what John Podesta is going to do to this opportunity that's been given to him by Joe Biden. Thanks so much for having me, Lars. You're absolutely right. You're the the first one to point out and articulate what I've been thinking as well. We celebrate when John Kerry left, and then we thought, oh, it couldn't get worse than John Kerry. And just like the whole time Joe Biden's been in office, you think it can't get worse, and then he slithers under the bar in some way. And that's what happened with John Podesta. What we found uh, recently, and this was a, a great story in the Washington Free Beacon, they pointed out that John Podesta's brother is a lobbyist for foreign liquefied natural gas producers. And why that matters is because when you look at two to three weeks ago, when Joe Biden put a halt to American exports, well, who stands to profit when American natural gas is taken off the market? Well, John Podesta's brother stands to profit, including a company that, yes, is founded by a Russian oligarch. I mean, if you said it to Hollywood, they wouldn't believe it. No, and and what drives me crazy is that, Larry, uh, for literally decades on this show, I've been saying we ought to be drilling for natural gas, building export facilities to beat the ban. At one point, there were 30 of them on the drawing board. Now, we knew uh, because of economics they weren't going to get all 30, but they were all going to be privately funded. Uh, We were going to be able to export something America has in gigantic quantities and that it would be not just an economic boon to the United States and to the Treasury and to the American people, but it would be a powerful tool of uh, diplomacy and foreign policy to be able to say to Western Europe, don't worry about Putin. We can supply all the natural gas you want. Use all you want. We'll we'll drill for more. And it would have been fantastic in so many ways. And then to find out, oh, no, Joe Biden's going to put Podesta in there. He'll he'll clamp down on this and say, we're not going to increase exports of LNG, uh, which would benefit Western Europe, which would benefit Americans working at almost every level of that business, drilling for it, refining it, putting it on the tankers, supercooling it, sending it to Europe, uh, and benefit Americans as well. Because if you've got a lot of it, the price tends to be low. And that's been one of the biggest, and in fact, for all the climate true believers, it would have been great too, because one of the biggest things that's reduced CO2, if that's, if that's what floats your boat, I'm not convinced that CO2 is a pollutant. I'm not convinced it's bad. It's actually plant food. But even if you believe that, one of the biggest things that reduce CO2 in America over the last 20 years is LNG. So let's have more of it. And Joe Biden says, let's have yes, less of it and we'll benefit John Podesta's brother. I mean, like you said, Hollywood say that that's completely untenable. Nobody would ever believe that story, except it's really happening. 
Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's almost like Joe Biden is allergic to peace and prosperity, right? I mean, we have here a dictator who Joe Biden blames for everything. He literally blamed him for our gas prices going up, for our inflation. And yet Joe Biden wants to shovel millions his direction by holding back American liquefied natural gas. And your point is the correct one. That natural gas not only it helps tax revenue. Not only does it create jobs and prosperity here at home, it helps our allies. You know, it, while Joe Biden's fighting tooth and nail to send millions of dollars and billions of dollars more to Ukraine, how does why does he not fight to send some of our natural gas to Ukraine? And and it has to be said that years ago when Donald Trump was president and he warned Germany, you need to have one of these export receiving. Uh, ports in your country because Putin will play games with your natural gas. They laughed. And now, lo and behold, they're moving forward with it because they know they need energy security. And that's what it boils down to. Energy security is national security. And Joe Biden has destroyed America's energy security. You know, that was one of the most telling moments. So Larry, what Larry just said to see and we've I've seen the video. We've played the audio of Donald Trump saying, watch out. You should be buying it from us. You're going to end up being threatened. And Germany's energy minister just sitting there and just laughing. Oh, you're full of it. You don't know what you're talking about. Donald Trump knew more about it than he did. And so the the other question is, as I guess, there are efforts now to say, well, this has to be investigated. How does John Podesta legitimately take this job as climate czar when he knows what his brother does for a living. I mean, I, I guess I can't think of a, a good example that doesn't involve, say, breaking the law. But if a if a major league crook had a little brother and the little brother said, I'm going to become the D.A. or I'm going to become the uh, chief of police in town, you say, yeah, that's not going to work because your family is in this other business and there's a conflict. And it's a conflict you can't resolve by just full disclosure, because most of the things you'll do that'll fit in with Joe's clean, clean uh, energy agenda are going to benefit your your family to the tune of maybe millions of dollars. How do you work past that? Yeah, you don't, right? I mean, Washington, under this administration, nepotism is the name of the game. And we have to remember, your point is exactly correct. What did John Podesta do before he got this sweet uh, John Kerry doesn't have to have you know any congressional approval gig? He was Bill Clinton's chief of staff. He ran Hillary Clinton's campaign. And he was working for green companies right before Joe Biden tapped him to be in charge of all the Inflation Reduction Act money. It's the biggest slush fund in American history. And what does Joe Biden do? He puts noted climate scientist John Podesta in charge of it, where I guess he can talk to other climate you know, scientists, visionaries like AOC and Greta Thunberg, all these people that we're supposed to be listening to, but they have no expertise in the matter. What he does have expertise in is being a political operative, making sure that the palms are greased and getting money in the hands of the right people so it helps his friends get elected. And that's why Joe Biden appointed him. I guess I thought of a better example, Larry. Maybe I'll use this one. I used to do a lot of stories on trains and the rail industry in America. And imagine if a president said, I'm going to make this guy the head of the Federal Railroad Administration. And and he'll make all the critical because there is an FRA. And you say, but his brother is the head of Burlington Northern. Isn't that going to you know be a little bit of a conflict because one brother can help the other brother and, and all that? And you say, yeah, that's okay. Nobody would accept that kind of relationship. They'd say, pick somebody else without that conflict. 
But Joe Biden is, you know, he's cashed in. His family's cashed in. Now it sounds like he's helping other people cash in who might, I guess, just be generous with Joe after he leaves office in January of next year. Yeah, I, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking Joe really undersold himself by only taking 10% for the big guy. With all the money that he is doling out, I, I should say all of our money that he's doling out, he's going to lament that it was only 10% because all of his supporters are getting rich. And, and let's just be clear, this is campaign laundering, right? These are the people that throw their money back at Joe Biden. So it's really great if you have a failing little ED company or some other eco company that can't get off the ground, if not for massive government subsidies. So John Podesta ships you some money, and then lo and behold, under your name and your employee's name, that money magically ends up back in the hands of you know Biden for America campaign campaign coffers or any of the other folks who voted for the Inflation Reduction Act. It's, you know, it is a straight up grift. And you pointed out it wouldn't be tolerated on the other side, but it's business as usual in this administration. Well, can you imagine this? There was a time when we thought the Solyndra scam was a big deal with Obama (laughs) signing off on a loan guarantee, meaning if they don't pay it back, the U.S. taxpayers will, for a solar panel company that was a risk. And if private people want to take that kind of risk, go ahead. That's what the marketplace is for. But to put the taxpayers on the hook, and of course, it did fail, and we did have to pay for it. But I'm sure that all the people involved in those companies are very, very grateful to people like Michelle and Barack Obama and to Jill Biden and Joe Biden as well. And they know how it works, and it ought to be called out and ought to be stopped. Larry, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much. I appreciate the time. Always great to talk with you, Lars. Take care. Thank you. That's Larry Behrens from the group Power the Future. Coming up, we got to talk about how your tax dollars are being used to promote far-left ideologies with millions of dollars going, I kid you not, for podcasts, not just here, but around the world. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show on First Amendment Friday. The Lars Larson Show. Take a walk around your neighborhood. Ronald Reagan knew better. Do you? All of it began the first time some of you who know better and are old enough to know better let young people think that they had the right to choose the laws they would obey as long as they were doing it in the name of social protest. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It is First Amendment Friday, my favorite day of the week. We get to talk about anything. First, if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line. If you want to send an email instead, talk at LarsLarson.com. And, of course, you can always vote in our poll on X. Uh, used to be called Twitter. Now it's the X. So uh, we're calling it the poll on X. In any case, the question is there every day at Lars Larson Show. You can also find it on my website at LarsLarson.com. And if anybody asks me about my business, I absolutely love my business. I started doing radio about 49 years ago. And since then, anybody who comes to me and says, hey, I'd like to get into the business, I, I say, I'll tell you how to do it. I will tell you how to do it. Most of them don't listen to my advice, but that's okay. And I also warn them, some people make a lot of money in this business. Some people do not. Be aware of that. It is not like a lot of other businesses. But now you've got podcasting. And I have no objection to podcasting at all. In fact, we podcast my show. 
we take the show and we make it available so people can listen any anytime or anywhere they want. Literally, I've had American service members during a, the Afghanistan war listening in Afghanistan, and they weren't listening in real time. They were listening to the podcast because uh, they were they were actually listening to it when it's the middle of the night for me. Uh, but it was the middle of the day for them, so I worked out very nicely. What I don't see is a reason to spend literally hundreds of millions of dollars of taxpayer money to encourage the creation of podcasts when there are already hundreds of thousands of podcasts available worldwide. So I thought we'd talk about what Adam Andrzejewski and his Open the Books organization has found, uh, since he's the CEO and the founder of OpenTheBooks.com, what he's found in the way of taxpayer funding to go out and push the idea of creating brand new podcasts when the world already has a lot of podcasts right now. Adam, welcome back. Hey, it's great to be here, Lars. Thanks for having me back. We found $324 million on federally funded projects with a podcast attached. And some of these were, you know, they were benign. Others weren't benign. Look, you had like, you know, $2.3 million flow into the University of Houston to actually develop a podcast, and then they study whether or not the podcast helps stop the spread of AIDS. You had $4 million flow into the Facts Not Fear campaign in Wichita, Kansas, which crafted a socially sensitive message on COVID-19 to promote health literacy. You know, you had, you know, then you had absolutely bonkers, crazy podcasts to the tune of, of about $10 million. $10 million to do what? Well, you had, you know, 400,000 flowed from the the ag department on regeneration farming with a podcast and an episode on building a queer farmer community. You had 200, yeah, I mean, just absolutely crazy stuff. So you had 225,000 flow from the National uh, Endowment of the Arts for not the little engine that could, but the little pronoun that could. You had a half million dollars flow from the National Science Foundation of all places for a podcast called Brains on the Move. This was for children that featured superheroes on how to stop the coronavirus. These superheroes were entitled Sergeant Socially Distanced, The Masked Mentor, The Vaccinator. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, and The Masked Mentor. I mean, many of these things obviously had no efficacy to prevent the, the spread of COVID. Well, not only that, but I know, Adam, you usually stick to the numbers, but some of the messaging here seems really disturbing to me. You point out that a couple of hundred thousand dollars went to the National Endowment for the Humanities, which I think we should do away with. And just, you know, if, if it's going to go out and fund art and culture and all that, let the private sector fund it. Private sector funding already far exceeds what the government does. So usually the government ends up funding the kind of stuff that nobody else wants to put money behind, which doesn't sound like it's something we ought to do. I mean, if there's a crazy scheme out there and people want to do a podcast about it, go ahead. Who's going to fund it? Well, not the taxpayers. Uh, Well, I can't find funding. Well, then you probably shouldn't do it. But sacred and profane is one of the things that came out of that National Endowment for the Humanities. And they they actually had an episode on how Satanists play an important role in American religious and political life, showing us how ideas about religion, pluralism, and separation of church and state are changing the U.S. This sounds like a decidedly anti-religion kind of effort of government, which makes it a violation of the First Amendment, doesn't it? Yeah, look, these are 
These are propaganda campaigns. They're hyping silly notions, radical ideologies, and Lars, it's paid for by you and I. And, and look, why? it's not only it's not only domestic, it's also foreign. We found a hundred thousand dollars went of US taxpayer money funded by you and I to teach podcasting in Brazil. Seventy thousand went to teach podcasting in Yemen. We actually tried to get to the bottom of that. All the podcasts were in Arabic. We don't speak Arabic, but we use translator programs. We wanted to know if that seventy thousand dollars in Yemen, which would go a long ways in Yemen, hard currency if that actually fell into the hands of the Houthis, who control 70% of the in, uh, country and, and all the population centers, and they're obviously the ones firing on our U.S. military right now, we were not able to tie that out. But look, U.S. taxpayer money went to teach podcasting in Bulgaria and Zimbabwe. Here's, here's just one of the, the podcasts that you and I funded, five grand in Zimbabwe. It's a lot of money in Zimbabwe. Yep. It went for... Uh, it went for the issue, It went to, uh, on a podcast for uh, st- uh, the issues and stories of trans and intersex lives of people in Zimbabwe. I mean, utterly, utter crap. Well, and and it does sound like it's very much about indoctrination. Because if you're saying, "Hey, maybe religion's not all it's cut out to be, and you shouldn't believe in Jesus, believe in Satan instead." That's the kind of stuff where you cross the line. And if you're handing money off to an Arab language podcast and you don't even you can't assure us, by the way, is any of this stuff being used to push, say, terrorist organizations like the Houthi terrorists? And you say, if we're helping them communicate, we're helping the people who are out there, as you point out, attacking our military and our commercial shipping on the open seas. That's working directly against American interests. Is anybody in the government overseeing where this money is going and whether or not it's going to things that are antithetical to the U.S.? Well, I think, you know, it's plain that, every, you know, this kind of funding is going towards tearing down everything that is beautiful and just about the greatest nation ever conceived in the history of the world. I mean, we found, we found $300,000 from the National Endowment of the Humanities for a podcast on history that features episodes with clear ideological bents. For example, Jamestown and the myth of the sovereign family. You know, here's another one, a medieval anti-racist. So think about this. You've got knights and kings and queens, and all of a sudden, you've got a Marxist in the mix. (laughs) Well, and, and what really stuns me is this. Because when I first got into radio, it cost hundreds of thousands or millions to do a broadcast. But today, you could literally do a podcast with a $50 smartphone that you buy at Walmart and, and, and a nothing microphone or even the microphone on the... How do they manage to spend millions and millions of dollars to get people to do podcasts you could do literally for less than $100 and put it on the web? Now, maybe somebody listens to it, maybe they don't. That's Adam Andrzejewski. You can find all the numbers he was just talking about in his reports at OpenTheBooks.com. He's the CEO and founder of OpenTheBooks.com. Back in a moment, it's First Amendment Friday. If you want to join what we call the best conversation in talk journalism, it's always right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line. We've always done it. We always will. If you want to send an email, talk at LarsLarson.com. You can also vote in our poll on X. You'll find that at Lars Larson Show. Back in a moment. 
Elon Musk sums up America's government. And what I see all over the place is people who care about looking good while doing evil. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's First Amendment Friday. Pleasure to be with you. And I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails. If you haven't noticed... Uh, some of the big liberal cities in America are starting to behave like the famous old Frank Rizzo saying that a conservative is a liberal who just got mugged last night. Well, consider cities like uh, Seattle or Chicago or uh, Portland or New York or uh, or San Francisco. They have all bragged for decades. We're sanctuary cities. All are welcome here. And you're welcome here without regard to your immigration status. Only now they're finding what happens when a whole bunch of illegal aliens show up all at once. And the answer is it's a tsunami of need, of demands for need. People who are showing up saying, I'm illegally in your country and I'm not happy. I literally kid you not. I'm not happy with the food you're giving me. I'm not happy with the hotel room you're giving me. I demand that you give me more. And all of a sudden, a bunch of those sanctuary cities are having, you know, second thoughts about what's going on. Thought we'd talk about that with Jonathan Cho, who's a journalist with the Discovery Institute. Jonathan, good to have you back. Hey, Lars. Yeah, it, it's spreading, man. It, it's not just Seattle. I mean, I just got back from Boston where it's just turning into a, a disaster as well. Well, and, and Boston got all those, you know, PC points for announcing we're a sanctuary city. And then just recently they said, oh, hold on, we've got too many. We need them to go somewhere else. New York is actually saying, uh, Eric Adams is saying he wants to rewrite the sanctuary rules. They're now saying, hey, could these all these people go somewhere else? And in Boston, they actually had a city councilwoman saying it was the suburban uh, community's job, you know, the little cities that surround Boston, uh, to take in all these illegals. And I think a lot of them are telling Boston, you know, pound sand, we're not taking them. You guys want to be the sanctuary city? You're it. So how are we going to see this thing end? Well, uh, you know, I was in Boston because of this tension, right? You hit it right on the head. You know, uh, I, I focused on this predominantly black community uh, called Roxbury. Um, it's just 10 minutes outside of the downtown core in Boston. And uh, the black residents are furious because the governor, Maura Healey, uh, a Democrat, uh, along with uh, Mayor uh, Michelle Wu, uh, decided to take a rec center for kids and turned that into a migrant shelter for more than 300 Haitian families. And these black residents, for the most part, are furious. They can't go there for any, you know, after-school activities anymore. They can't use the facilities to get off the streets and all the gun violence that they're facing in the neighborhood. And, uh, again, this black community feels like an already marginalized neighborhood is is now being, you know, you know taken advantage of. Uh, and these lawmakers are, are using uh, again, the virtue signaling and, and their righteousness to push out the black community. So it's really uh, unbelievable what's happening in Boston. Well, and Jonathan, let me guess that Roxbury is not filled with people who make six-figure salaries, right? Uh, if you haven't been there before, uh, Lars, <laughs> you're absolutely right. Yeah, it is a neighborhood, the historic black neighborhood with churches, with corner stores. You don't have gleaming buildings here. You've got community centers, and this was the gem of the community. But now it's turned into this temporary migrant shelter, at least until the end of May. Um, and, you know, what's infuriating some of the neighbors as well is that these migrants are getting, you know, nearly $100 a day worth of amazing catered food. I yeah. see it with my own eyes. There's the restaurant across the street bringing homemade Haitian food, jerk chicken, steak, salads. 
And everyone else, especially the homeless here, are like, wait, I, I've been asking for years for support. I'm on a waiting list. I have to go to a food pantry, you know, and deal with handouts. And these people are getting catered hot meals. How is that Well, and John, Jonathan, does that mean that if I draw this picture, so you've got liberals in America who say, oh, we should, we should welcome everyone. We should open up the borders. We shouldn't have all these restrictions. Oh, but by the way, we're the biggest champions for the poor and the down and out in America. Uh, and then all of a sudden the illegal alien invasion comes and the Democrats, the liberals, the progressives that all wanted to look like they were doing the right thing for everybody, both the poor in America and the Ill invading illegals, is now telling poor communities you're going to have to suffer. We're taking away the stuff we had promised to give you, and and we're going to give it away to these people instead. I mean, that, is that going to work for the Democrats when it comes to election time? No, and we're starting to see that, and especially in places like Chicago. You know, Chicago, as you know, the, the inner city, the south side, dealing with years of gun violence, poverty. And you've got black folks now saying, wait a second, the Democratic Party's turned on us. I don't think we can support the Democratic Party anymore. We're voting Trump. And I don't know if Democrats are going to wake up, but I think the Biden administration is now. I mean, I think they're, they might lose the black vote um, this time around. But really, you know, what's happening here, getting back to Boston, that's infuriating yeah. so many, uh, is the double standard here as well. You know, you mentioned, uh, you know, hey, uh, this, is, this was resources and money promised to the black community. Actually, the black community is saying, no, we've been begging for resources and more money, but you weren't giving it to us, saying it didn't exist. But now it suddenly exists for the migrants. Then adding insult to injury, you've got the governor, Governor Maura Healy, her administration, now asking residents of Boston and Massachusetts to open up their homes for these migrants. And they haven't even done it themselves, the politicians, that is. And by the way, Jonathan, I saw just yesterday, I think it was uh, the mayor of New York, Eric Adams, is now saying to people, we'll pay you to take in illegals. And do you know how much they're going to pay? They're offering $125 a night for every illegal alien you house. But my question was, where are you getting that kind of cash that you can say, we're going to pay 16000 a month to put up a family of four, and we have millions of these people coming into the country? Where is all that cash coming from, especially from cities like New York that claim to be strapped? Well, it, it, yeah, the math doesn't add up. It's like two plus two equals five. Uh, it's just all upside down right now, Lars. And, you know, another, you know, angle that I'm going to release uh, next week is that there are actually folks who are actually benefiting from this migrant crisis. Uh, a lot of these uh, restaurant owners, uh, they were given a windfall uh, by the governor of Massachusetts. Uh, one business, local business catering to the migrants here in Roxbury, she was about to go out of business. But now she's saying that she might make more than a million dollars just in wow. the food that she's wow. going to be providing. And you're going to see that story coming up. But it saved her business, and she loved the governor. In other words, there's, again, a whole little cottage industry now forming as well from this migrant crisis, and they're benefiting from this. And by the way, Jonathan, since cell phones and uh, WhatsApp and all that is kind of ubiquitous worldwide, can you imagine what the reaction is in other poor countries around the world when their friends who got across the border illegally said, hey, look at the, the hotel room where I'm staying. Look at the food they're serving us. I mean, this is going to be the kind of viral marketing that no private company could ever do. How do you turn the tap off at that point? No, and Lars, wow, you you're, you must be active on TikTok because that's exactly what what's happening, <laughs> Lars. I mean, the videos are everywhere here in Seattle. You know, in Tukwila, Washington, right out right outside of downtown Seattle. You know, you've got uh, migrants staying at 
uh, the Embassy Suites Hotel, and they have a pool, and they're taking photos and videos and sending it back to their friends and family, you know, in Venezuela or even hey. at the border, saying, come to Washington. Look what we're getting. Jonathan Cho, you're a great journalist at the Discovery Institute. Back in a moment, it's First Amendment. The Lars Larson Show. 866-HEY-LARS. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Welcome to First Amendment Friday on the Lars Larson Show. Thank God it's Friday! Today, Lars puts you in the driver's seat. You talk about what you want to talk about. Government is the problem. No topic is off limits. We will make America great again. Call 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-HEY-LARS to speak your mind. Now, First Amendment Friday with Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I've got a question for you. Why would you allow the suspect accused of shooting a Washington state trooper nine times? Why would you allow that person to bail out of jail? I thought I'd put that question to my buddy, Ari Hoffman. He actually does the talk show on our Seattle affiliate following mine. Ari, welcome back to the program. This is insane, including the fact that there is a fund specifically set up to get dirt by dirt bags like this out of prison or out of uh, out of uh, custody. Yeah, let's start from the top. So the Northwest Community Bail Fund has been around in Seattle for a while now. They were briefly shuttered for the last couple of years. I don't know if it was because of during COVID or something else. But their big thing is bailing out whoever they think is being unjustly prosecuted because you know as well as I do their real goal is to defund the police and abolish prisons. So what happened was they bail out this guy named Jason Posada. Now, let me go through his rap sheet for you for a minute. This guy has convictions for robbery in the second degree, assault in the third degree, possession of a stolen vehicle, theft in the first degree, possession of a stolen vehicle, attempting to elude a pursuing police vehicle, being a fugitive from justice, attempted burglary in the second degree. This guy was also being held or actually had a warrant out from Department of Corrections for his arrest at the time he shot the officer. So the Northwest Community... I'm sorry, allegedly uh, allegedly shot the officer. Oh, we have to play the allegedly game. He alleged... Allegedly, allegedly shot the, the dirtbag right. allegedly shot the officer. Yeah. He allegedly unloaded an entire clip of bullets into this officer. Nine wounds. Nine wounds. It's amazing the guy is still alive. So the Northwest Community Bail Fund looks at this guy even before he shot the officer with the track record I just gave you there. That's before he shot the officer and said, yeah, this looks like a great guy to parole because you know as well as I do, they just want these guys on the streets. Yeah, and so they have this bail fund, and if they're going to maintain their claim, we only go in where we believe people are being railroaded. Hold on. The guy's got a a rap sheet as long as your arm, and then uh, is he caught? He's caught at the scene after this shooting? Yes, he's caught very shortly thereafter. Okay. And this is a guy. This is a guy who's a bad seed, right? But now, here's what the organization says: They claim the justice justice system disproportionately harms our non-white neighbors. We recognize these harms will be felt differently by people of different intersecting identities because of historical, social, cultural, and political context with which our country was created as is maintained. Certainly, we must acknowledge that our non-cisgender community members have been. Uh, sorry, Lars, are there a whole bunch of LGBTQIA people getting jailed at disproportionate rates, as they no. say? This whole thing no. is a virtue signaling garbage. Yeah. Well, and, and the idea that, wow, 
They're, they're going after all these people of color and people in various minority groups. Well, yeah, if, but only if they shoot cops. And if they shoot cops, then you should arrest them. And you can't exactly argue, well, the only reason they're arresting me, all the other white people out there, Ari and Lars could probably go shoot as many cops as they want and never be held you know, in custody because the system is biased toward Ari and Lars. But me, I'm a person of color, so therefore they're going to come after me just because I shot a cop. It's, a, it's, it's such a ridiculous argument. It's hard to take these people seriously. Well, in fact, these are the guys who bailed out Alistair Clinton Baldwin. Now, that name may not mean much to your audience, but he was the first person who was alleged to have convict, who had committed the first murder in Seattle's record-breaking 2023. They also bailed out the laundry list of people like Michael Sedeo, who was in jail and charged with assault and robbery until the Northwest Community Bail Fund paid for his release a month later and was charged with stabbing a man to death at City Hall Park, the site of a notorious homeless encampment. 52% of the suspects bailed out by these guys since 2020 failed to show up for their court dates because it's not like they're putting their mom's house up for bail or something like that. It's donated money. There's no accountability. So they go on to reoffend, And that's compared to 22% of defendants who failed to show up who didn't receive report, support from the fund. Over 20% of those on the bail fund helped release were later charged with a new felony. I mean, this is failure across the board. And I don't think anything changes until, like, this cop sues this bail fund. Well, there's a solution. And the solution mm -hmm. is, what was his bail? Do you happen to know the number and how much he was required to post? Usually it's 10%. It's 10%. I don't know the offhand what it was that time. Okay. I have to go back and but, double check. But, but yeah. uh, So, in other words, if the bail is two hundred grand. And you have to put up 20. Mm -hmm. So the bail fund puts up 20. Uh, then, then the judges can solve this by saying, I know that you're going to get bailed out. I'm going to set the bail high enough to make sure that you are, number one, going to be in court on time, which is the number one reason for, for bail under the law. But number two, that the community is going to be protected because you seem like, number one, a great flight risk, a risk of running away to flee the charges. Uh, and number two, you seem like you're a dangerous person, that if we let you go, you're likely to go out and do more of this. We need to protect the community. And I'm kind of wondering when the first people that, you know, like the man stabbed to death, that his family could sue the bail fund and say, you folks made it possible for this guy, this dangerous person to be on the streets. And as a result, my family member is dead. When, when somebody brings that lawsuit, maybe that can shut it down. But judges should set high bails when they recognize somebody's a, 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 a special danger to the community and say, we're not going to let this guy get bailed out. Yeah, but we're talking about Seattle where we have progressive yeah. judges who release everybody, and we're shocked the prosecutors actually prosecute anybody when they have the opportunity. But I think that these families have the ability to say, yes, bail is constitutional, but the bail system is established for accountability to say you have to put up your own money or you have to put up your mom's house or you have to put up something else, and that makes sure that you are accountable. If there's no way you're actually accountable because this is donated money coming from some anonymous fund that you have no accountability, to, then I think it's actually betraying the very principles that bail is based on. Well, and, and uh, let me uh, let me make mention of the fact that the vice current vice president of the United States is a woman who famously or infamously raised money, not in Washington state, but in other states for exactly these same kind of bail funds. So 
The people on the left politically believe that there is no reason to hold people in custody, even when they're charged with the most serious crimes. And, and, and the end result is more violence in the community. Exactly, exactly. And you're talking about one of the reasons the story gained so much traction was because of Kamala Harris, because people said, we remember when she did that. How many other funds are there like this throughout the country, especially in blue cities, especially in blue states that just keep releasing criminals like this? We have a rise in crime nationally, especially in our part of the world. It's only getting worse. We have less and less cops. We need more police. And it looks like the entire system is designed to favor the criminals as opposed to the people who yeah. they're going after. And by the way, one other thing I had to mention, you notice that Seattle Transit, just like Portland with TriMet, has said, oh, now that somebody has painted the floor of a light rail train with blood as though you spilled a bucket of it, you know, a gallon of red paint, oh, now we're going to put some extra security on. They still won't put cops back on the trains. They're going to have their own, uh, you know, their own security guards of one kind or another. But they waited until somebody's blood was all over the floor of the train and said, oh, maybe we should have some security. That's Ari Hoffman. He holds down the fort in the afternoons on our Seattle station. That's Talk Radio 570 KBI. Back in just a moment. has welcomed naysayers for 27 years, but occasionally... Who is this person who speaks to me as though I needed his advice? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails, and that goes double on First Amendment Fridays, where we open up the phone lines to every subject under the sun. And, of course, naysayers always go to the head of the line at 866-HEY-LARS. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Check us out on Instagram as well. Got some fun there. Uh, And you can always tell Alexa to play the Lars Larson Show. Uh, I wanted to talk about the U.S. economy because I'm not an economist, nor am I an expert or claim to be, but it really seems like the U.S. economy is teetering on the edge of something awful. I just don't know what the awful thing is just yet. So I've invited my friend Phil Kirpin on, who's president of American Commitment, to get his take on this. Hey, Phil, welcome back. Hey, Lars, great to be with you. So we've got uh, the, the administration, the White House, for the most part, uh, bragging, gee, we had this uh, great economic growth from October through December uh, that they say was propelled by healthy consumer spending, although we now have a record amount of consumer debt. Uh, so I kind of wonder about that as well. 3.2% on an annual pace. Things are looking good. Are they? Uh, no, that was one of many recent uh, economic data releases where you had kind of a favorable headline and uh, the uh, Democrats kind of pushed those around and the media touted them. But if you drill into the numbers, they're not so favorable. And the fastest growing sector in that GDP report was government consumption expenditures. And uh, the government sector uh, has now outpaced the private sector for a pretty pretty strong streak. I think it's eight consecutive quarters, two full years now, where government spending is growing faster than private sector spending. Uh, 
that is kind of like a game of musical chairs, and the music's going to stop at some point because you can't just run indefinite uh, trillion-dollar deficits uh, without paying for it at some point, one way or the other way. And what I mean by that is either broad-based tax hikes, uh, potentially with the expiration of the Trump tax cuts, if that's allowed to occur, if Democrats control Congress, and or with the Fed monetizing the debt and the Fed stepping in and becoming the buyer for a lot of those bonds and just printing the money. And, of course, if that happens... We're going to have another episode like we did in the 1970s, where inflation went up to 9%, just like this time, came down to 2 or 3%, and then went to double digits. And we could be in the middle of sort of a double peak uh, inflation formation uh, if government spending continues on the face that it's on and uh, the Fed ends up being uh, the financier of all that debt uh, through money creation. Well, you mentioned, Phil, uh, all the big chunk of that that's government spending. So we've got uh, some job gains that are net gains after, you know, the pandemic downturn, uh, but but not that much, a couple of million jobs. But as you point out, the biggest sector of growth for, uh, you know, for more jobs is government. And when government spends money on services, it still counts within that consumer spending, doesn't it? Or or do they actually divide it's it out? Category. It's a separate category. It's government consumption. It's expenditures. It's a, it's a separate category, but it's been outpacing uh the private economy, almost every GDP report. I think, uh, like I said, I think it's seven or eight in a row now. So it's uh, it's been the main driver. And as I said, that you know that ends up uh, you got to pay for that one way or the other. We are we're all going to pay for that one way or the other. And of course, uh, I, I think we're all going to pay for it most likely through another round of inflation. And the the inflation problem has not actually ended for people who are outside of kind of the elite uh, bubble. Uh, and, you know, you see these things like Paul Krugman goes on Twitter and he's like, it's, uh, you know, food prices have not gone up. It's all a myth. And you're like, like, could this guy go to a store and look at the actual price of anything? Uh, you know, right? I mean, it's like oh, I, I, the, the, the people who are claiming that, uh, oh, inflation's not as bad as the 18% that the official figures say, it's much worse than the 18% that the official figures say in the last three years, uh, because that includes, you know, the way they calculate that 18%, they have yeah. in that calculation yeah. a big decrease in the price of health insurance. They're claiming we all saved a huge amount of money from health insurance. Going, that has not we happened did? to anyone I no, know. No, hold on. We that did? Not, it, 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 Where? It, it, Where? It did not. Only in their calculations, not in the actual world that exists. And so you get the price of everything going up much more uh, than their official number. And then, according to them, it's offset by these huge savings in health insurance that literally no one has seen anywhere except in their weird model, however they calculate. It doesn't exist in the real world. And you look at the prices of, of actual things that people have to buy, you know, the the cost of buying a medium house, the median house, the mortgage payment, is something like up 70% in the last three years because of what's happened. To, you know, home prices have continued to rise, but the interest rates have gone haywire. And you look at what's happening at the grocery store, a lot of food items are up 25, 30, 40%, not the official 18%. There are a lot of things you can't do without, and that's exactly why uh, consumer debt is up so much, to your point. I mean, if the price of everything goes up and there are a lot of things people just can't do without, uh, their household needs it, they have to put it on a credit card. And that's why we've got record credit card debt, and uh, we've got a big debt bomb on the individual side as well as what's going on in government. And that bill's going to have to be paid sooner or later. We're going to have you know, a huge wave of bankruptcies and all the attendant uh, problems that, that come with that potentially. And so you see these headlines, story after story large, about you know, why don't people know how good they have it? Why don't they appreciate the great Biden economy? And it's like, 
because it's not great, because prices have gone up a lot more than incomes have gone up for the vast majority of American households who now either have to go without things that they used to be able to afford or they've got to pile the debt on. Well, and the the other thing, Phil, is you've got mortgage rates well above 7%. And I know everybody listening says, well, I'm not shopping for a house, so why do I care? Well, you should care because I could see people getting pushed into this. One of the most common reasons for somebody to sell a house is say, hey, dad just got a new job in a different city. Well, that means we have to move there, but we, we can't afford two places, so we've got to sell this one. And then you go out to the marketplace and say, hey, I need to sell my house in an environment of 7% plus mortgage rates. And your real estate agent said, and I, I once had an economist explain to me, there's a direct correlation. If the interest rate goes up, the price of the house has to go down, you know, except supply is so normally, short that yeah. it's not going down. Exactly. And so normally so, the price would go down and the market would clear. But with so many people saying, hey, I'm going to stick with my two and a half or three percent, there's no inventory. And especially in places that have urban growth boundaries and crazy zoning rules and all this kind of stuff, like on the West Coast, you can't build anything. And so you can't build. The people who have the current houses don't want to sell them because they've got low rates. And so you've got very little inventory on the market. And so when people do need to buy a house, they do need to move. You've got high prices and high interest rates, a double whammy instead of the normal circumstance. So the housing market is really, really messed up uh, as a consequence of what we've seen. And uh you know that, and the volumes are through the floor. I mean, they're they've they're the real estate volumes are collapsing. You know, you, all these people who make their living in real estate are looking for, for other jobs right now because there's just no transaction volume in most markets. Well, and the other piece I wanted to ask you about is, and this gets more into the, how the, the federal government borrows all this money. Now, I always thought of treasury bonds as 10 and 20 and 30 year things, but apparently about a third of the U.S. debt is in really short term stuff, one years, two years, three years. And that adjusts with the marketplace. So they're having one and two and three year money that's now in higher in a higher rate environment. And they say, yeah, we borrowed a billion dollars or $10 billion at this rate, but now the rate's going up dramatically and the government has to pay it. And that's why we've suddenly hit this point where the interest on the debt is now bigger than the entire Pentagon budget. And, and that doesn't sound like it can go on for very long. And those rates don't look like they're coming down. I'll give you the last 30 seconds. Yeah, it drives me nuts. Look, when Trump was in and uh, we had these record low interest rates, a lot of people, including Larry Kudlow, were saying, let's bring back 50-year bonds, let's have 100-year bonds, let's lock in these rates for as long as we can. And it didn't happen. It didn't happen uh, for whatever reason. And so you're right, we have a lot of short-term debt that's gotten very expensive on on the federal balance sheet. And, you know, this is why, this is one of the reasons that I'm so concerned about kind of a second wave of inflation that could be even worse than what we just experienced, because the, the amount of interest expenses spiraling out of control, I don't see any real spending discipline in the federal budget to cut the non-interest spending. And so at some point, you're not going to have real buyers for that debt in the Fed. No, you're going to run out of money altogether. That's Phil Kirpin. Phil, it's a pleasure. He's president of American Commitment. It's First Amendment Friday. Your calls are welcome. You know I'd always prefer that this is a dialogue rather than a monologue. I mean, anybody who knows me knows I can talk for three hours or four hours or five hours without even taking a breath. But I'd like to hear from you. If you want to jump into the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. We always put naysayers to the head of the line. That's a 25-year-old promise that we're never going to break. And send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Back in a moment, you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. 
Sometimes the listeners say it best. Hey, Lars, love your show, and I really appreciate what you do, boy. You cover more territory in an afternoon than a lonely bathroom in springtime. Who's next? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I hope you took note that during the visits, the dueling visits of President Donald Trump to the Texas border with Mexico and the visit by Joe Biden to the border, he had all his note cards stacked up so he knew what he was going to be asked. He knew what he was going to say. He even knew what questions he was supposed to ask because it was all written down for him. He needs that kind of assistance. But one of the things you should have noticed was shipping containers because Texas has managed in about six months to do with shipping containers and a little bit of razor wire what the federal government claims it is incapable of doing, and that's Joe Biden and his Customs and Border Protection. So I thought we'd talk about that with Representative Monica De La Cruz, who is a Republican from Texas. Representative, it's uh, good to have you on the program. Thank you so much for having me today. I keep having uh, liberals tell me, yeah, but the Republicans haven't done anything about border security. And yet, in fact, you have. You've passed H.R. 2, and you've got the Container Act. Would you mind telling me about the Container Act? Well, look, here's the fact, is that Democrats continue continuously lie to the American people. But the American people and Hispanic communities here along the border see right through this. The House Republicans passed the Secure the Border Act, just as you said. They passed the the Container Act. But really where this burden is falling is on Texans and on the governor of Texas, Governor Abbott. And thank God that Governor Abbott is doing what President Biden has failed over and over to do. Yeah, and he's showing how easy it can be to such an effect that I understand that illegal crossing has gone down dramatically in Texas, and now it's gone up in California, which should be interesting to see how Gavin, uh, Gavin Newsom handles that, or in Arizona. So, so the, the traffickers have figured out it's tough to cross in Texas, easier to go somewhere else, and they're going somewhere else. So why not give the states the authority to do exactly what Texas did and not have to be dragged into court the way the Biden administration, which claims it wants to control illegal entry, and then when a state manages to do it very well, they go to court and sue them to stop them from being effective. That's absolutely in, unacceptable for the Biden administration to stop the states, especially the state of Texas, which right now Texas is on the front line, the only state on the front line protecting America's borders. We've had over 10 million illegal immigrants cross into That's just of we know of. When you talk to Border Patrol agents, they say it's possibly closer to 15 million. We've had close to 200 terrorists from the terrorist watch list caught at our, uh, at our borders. It's just simply unacceptable. Now, President Biden came to Brownsville, Texas, the Rio Grande Valley, after three years, three years of not visiting our border. And now, because he sees the Hispanic vote is leaning towards Republicans here in South Texas and along the border, now he shows up for a photo off. I'm talking to a member of Congress, Monica De La Cruz, a Republican from Texas. That's the part I have the toughest time with, is understanding how any Democrat, especially and those in the border states who are seeing what's happening and the damage that's being done to them, to their families, to their communities, could ever cast a ballot for Joe Biden. 
Well, you're going to you're already seeing a difference between the 2020 election and the 2024 election where Republican primary voters are up. The votes are up over 50 percent, while Democrat votes are down 40 percent. They're saying no more, no more to Joe Biden and his failed economic policy, failed border policy. Inflation is hurting us as border crisis where the burden is, is in communities just like mine. That is over 90% Hispanic. This illegal immigration is cogging up our health care system. It's putting a lot of pressure on our local law enforcement. And I believe that not only now in the primary are you seeing, are you seeing the votes shift from Democrat to Republican, but we're going to see it in the general election as well. Representative De La Cruz, what's what is it going to take, if anything could make it happen, to get the Senate to actually vote on this? I mean, they 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 shoved that ridiculous package that Langford was involved in. Senator Langford was involved in that I thought was dead on arrival because it institutionalized 5000 illegal alien crossings a day. So they're basically going to legalize what Joe Biden was doing illegally. And and that thing died right away. Speaker Johnson said, no way. So what it will, what would it take to get the Senate to vote on this bill? And if they want to vote it down, go ahead and then take the consequences from the voters. Or is this thing just dead in the water and not likely to go anywhere? Well, the Senate bill was completely unacceptable, not only for that reason, but because it took uh, the power of the states away from the states and into D.C. courts, which is completely unacceptable. What the Senate needs to do is take up H.R. 1. It's been sitting on Chuck Schumer's desk since May, but they fail over and over again. I think what it's going to take is a general election coming up, people becoming more and more frustrated that they are pressured to pass a border-only secure, secure border bill, only to secure the border. Look, the pressure was on the president. That's the only reason that he came down to South Texas is because he's seen the general elections votes sway to the Republican side. He's hearing from the American people, from both liberal media and conservative media, that it's completely unacceptable. And that's what drove him to the border this time. That's the only thing that will also drive the Senate to pass a border a border bill that will actually secure our nation's borders. I guess what I wonder is, I know he was very concerned about optics. He shows up in Brownsville where much of the problem has already been dealt with by the state of Texas because he wanted to, he walks along a border with no illegal aliens crossing at all. And all Americans have to do to see them crossing is turn on the news. They're just crossing somewhere else. So he actually... Do you think he's going to impress anybody on the Democrat side of the aisle by saying, I went to the border, I was there a grand total of 19 minutes, I didn't see any illegal aliens, and I saw no need to do anything about it? Is that kind of theater going to, going to impress anybody? I can share with you here locally on the border in a community that, again, is 90% Hispanic, Biden's visit did not play well here. It was all theatrics. It was the photo op, and we saw right through that. It was actually an insult for Biden to be here and not to thank and thank 
thank our patrol customs agents, our law enforcement officers. Instead, he talked about climate control yeah. as he opened his press conference. That is how out of touch this president is. So I don't think that this theatrics went over well, not here locally, and I don't believe that the national Democrats are going to buy into it either. And, and Joe Biden didn't even mention Lake and Riley, did he? No, he did not mention Lake and Riley. Yeah, it's pretty sad. It's pretty pathetic. Congresswoman, it's a pleasure to have you on the program. Thanks for the work you do for people in Texas and for the rest of the country. We appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. That's Monica De La Cruz, member of uh, Congress from the uh, great state of Texas. I'd talk to Texas Democrats if I could. They won't come on the show. But it'd be interesting to ask them, were you impressed by President Biden showing up at the border the second time in his entire life that he's ever shown up on the Mexico-America border. And he stayed there for a grand total, walked down the, the border for 19 whole minutes, and then gave a speech about climate change as though he didn't really know what was going on. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. So tell Alexa to play The Lars Larson Show. And check me out on Instagram. Sleepy Joe was on Jeopardy. This man, also known as the worst president in United States history, loves ice cream, lounging on beaches and sniffing children. Joe. Uh, who is me? Wait, where am I? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Let me ask you this. If, if a state can decide that it's going to become a sanctuary state in America. Now, Texas went the other direction, and I was glad to see them do it. They passed a law that says the federal government is not enforcing immigration laws. And the laws are on the books. I mean, Joe Biden deciding not to enforce the law, to tell Customs and Border Protection, just allow people to come across the border. As you know, both Donald Trump, President Trump, is on our southern border today. So is Joe Biden. And I've told you before that the big difference between the two Joe Biden decided to make his border trip only the second one in his entire lifetime to Brownsville, Texas, where there is very little of a border invasion problem. Donald Trump, on the other hand, went to Eagle Pass, Texas, which is ground zero for the uh, immigration problem and immigration invasion uh, that's being committed right now with Joe Biden's, uh, Joe Biden's aiding and abetting. But when in Texas... The state legislature said, if the federal government is not going to do this job, we are. Now, here's what happened. A federal judge has now blocked the Texas law. Did this late yesterday. The law allowed police to arrest illegal aliens who crossed into Texas illegally. So, in other words, the state of Texas has a right to protect itself. The federal government has a duty under the U.S. Constitution to protect the states against invasion. Texas is being invaded. 
if the federal government under Joe Biden says we are not going to hold up to the Constitution, we are not going to protect you from this invasion, does the state of Texas have the ability to protect itself? This federal judge has now blocked the law. His name is David Allen Ezra. He was appointed by Ronald Reagan, so that was a long time ago. He issued a 114-page ruling that says that the law, and this is where it gets really crazy, threatens the fundamental notion that the United States must regulate immigration with one voice. All Texas is saying is, if you come into our state and you're entering from another country, you are in this in our state illegally. That's what they're doing. This federal judge says that it threatens a fundamental notion that the U.S. must regulate immigration with one voice. Fact is, Joe Biden threatens that notion and has every single day of his presidency. He issued a preliminary injunction that takes uh, uh, prevents the law from taking effect. And he says that he finds that Texas is unlikely to succeed on the merits. That means that when they go to the higher courts and appeal this, which I'm sure they will, he notes that the government would suffer grave, irreparable harm if the law took place. If allowed to proceed, SB4, which is what they call the law, could open the door to each state passing its own version of immigration laws. The effect would be to moot the uniform regulation of immigration throughout the country. You know, I'd have one objection. I'm not a lawyer, but think about this. If somebody comes illegally into your country, are they immigrating to your country? They're physically moving into their into your country, but you're doing it against the law. I mean, in some ways, it would be like this. If you run a little store somewhere and uh, and people come into your store every day and they come in, you know, they don't have to ask permission. They uh, They walk in the front door and they look at the things you have for sale and they decide whether or not to buy them or sell them or buy or sell at your store, depending on what you do for a living. If somebody enters your store late at night uh, and gets in without your permission, are they still considered a customer? See, this is the argument that the liberals want us to accept. Joe Biden's defenders say whether somebody comes here by applying for immigration, by going through all the hoops, by meeting all the legal necessities of coming into this country legally, they are the same as somebody who just walks across the desert into California, into Arizona, into New Mexico, or into Texas, that they're treated the same. This isn't immigration. This is an invasion. And now this federal judge has said, you can't apply this law. I think that's absolutely insane because we've got, in fact, you really do have the same kind of situation. I know there was the case in Arizona during Barack Obama, where Arizona said they declared that they were going to enforce federal immigration law. And they lost in court because they were trying to enforce federal laws. States can't enforce federal laws. Federal laws have to be enforced by the federal government. But when the states, like New York, which has declared itself a sanctuary city, like Seattle, which has declared itself a sanctuary city. Portland, Los Angeles, San Francisco, they're all sanctuary cities. Tell me how this differs when the city of San Francisco says, we don't care what the immigration law is, we don't care that this guy came in illegally, we're going to protect him from the federal government enforcing his laws. That's going to be an easy pushback 
to what this judge is saying. The judge is saying you can't have your own immigration laws. Well, the federal government for the last 20 years has been allowing cities and states to declare themselves immigration or illegal alien sanctuaries. That's what they've been doing. So they've allowed states and cities to declare your immigration laws, federal government, do not apply here. Now, if you're going to allow that, can a state like Texas say immigration laws do apply, you're not enforcing them, so the state of Texas will? And frankly, Texas got more done in about six months of putting cargo containers and razor wire along that border. They got more done in six months than Joe Biden could ever get done. He decided to go back the other direction and say, no, we're simply not going to enforce the laws. We're not going to live up to the Constitution. That one doesn't make any sense to me. But you know this is guaranteed to be appealed. SB 4 gives the state and local government the authority to arrest illegal aliens who enter Texas from Mexico between the officially designated ports of entry. Under the law, those who unlawfully come in can be charged with a state misdemeanor and face up to one year in jail. A felony charge can be leveled if illegals are charged with additional crimes while they're in the state or they don't comply with a judge's orders. And now the federal government, federal judges are just about, you know, they are unfireable for, to the largest extent. They're appointed for life to their jobs. They get paid the same whether they're working or retired. They sit there and they say, nobody can touch me. So I think what this federal judge was doing was trying to pave the way for Sleepy Joe's visit to his open borders uh, just today. And it's interesting. Donald Trump is mentioning Lake and Riley, the young lady, 22 years old, murdered in Georgia. Joe Biden, Joe Biden isn't mentioning her at all. In fact, Joe Biden stepped up the podium on this visit to the border. And you know what? He must have slipped another gear or something. He started talking, I kid you not, about climate change. That tells you how disconnected this guy is. Glad to get your calls at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to the Lars Larson Show. 